A warm welcome to this first episode of our podcast series, Building Women, which shines a spotlight on women in construction and aims to provide a platform and network from which to share experiences, challenges and ideas and to celebrate successes in an industry which is still very much male dominated. Welcome to my first guest, Caroline Saul. Caroline's a partner in the projects team here at Osborne Clark Solicitors. She's worked on international project finance deals since 2004, advising lenders, sponsors and borrowers on energy and infrastructure projects. Her previous experience has also seen her advise on asset financings, corporate restructuring and securitisation. Caroline grew up in Barrie in South Wales with her parents and younger sister and now lives nearby in Penarth with her two children, 12 and 8. Caroline trained and qualified at Clifford Chance in both London and Singapore before joining Osborne Clark in 2013. Welcome, Caroline. Thank you for Good having morning. me. Hi, Julia. Hi. <laughs> um, so what I want to know is how does a girl from a Barry Comp end up at a global <laughs> law firm, Clifford Chance? It's really impressive. I know you were an A-grade student at Barry Girls School, but perhaps you could talk me through your decision to do law and French at Reading. What led you there? Um, yes, how does a Barry girl end up there? Um, good question. Still, still asking myself that. Um, so I think going to a girls comp was a good start. Actually, I know people don't really like um, the idea of sending their children to single sex education um, or single sex schools rather. But um, I guess the thing was being there is that there were no barriers no perceived barriers as to what you could and couldn't do what subjects you could study what um you know what you were supposed to be doing when you went to university um my parents were always sort of expecting me to go to university we were very much encouraged uh, to do whatever we wanted to do in the sense of uh you know the careers etc we were told that you know, there, there, there were sort of no, no, no boundaries to sort of re- reach for the stars, as it were. So university was always on the cards. Um, with regards to where I went to university, um, going to a girls, uh, the, the, the school that I went to, it was a case of um, if you went to university, sort of well done, and choosing university, well, there's sort of a wall of prospectuses. We've talked about this before. There's a wall yeah, of prospectuses. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, you know please knock yourself out essentially trying to trying to figure it out um my mum did an open university course when I was 12 I think she started and as part of that went to summer schools mm-hmm. and her the summer schools she went to were at universities and that very much shaped the universities that I looked at as well um one of those was Reading and I loved the look of it, loved the campus. And so, you know, that that was very much on my target list. Um, and then with regards to choosing the subject, um, again, it wasn't very um, sort of, uh, oh, I, I can't say that I sort of always grew up thinking I was going to do law with French. It was more a case of what did I enjoy at school? Well, I enjoyed doing sciences and I enjoyed French. So, yep. again, what was I going to do when I went to university? Um, I thought it was going to be medicine or law as I was growing up. Uh, medicine um, sounds great, but I have a fear of needles, which is probably not that conducive <laughs> to being a doctor. Um, so law it was. It was always, always going to have to be a profession. Um, so 
I decided to do chemistry, biology and French at A-level because I enjoyed them. And thankfully, that set me up to do the degree that I wanted to do as well. So you did a year in Paris as part of your degree. Yes. Um, and then you, I guess you, I think what's coming through from this chat already is that you're quite self-motivated. And so you pushed yourself to apply for summer back schemes and training contracts. Showing my age here, but this is going back to the very early 2000s um, for applying for training contracts and vacation mm. schemes, um, at which point um, the world looked a little different in the sense of who was expected to become a lawyer. There was an expectation of what, you know, someone who looked like me, someone who had my background would do, and it wasn't succeed in the way that I have now. It was a case of, well, maybe you should think about staying local and being a big fish in a small pond rather than a small fish in a big pond. You know, don't don't stretch yourself. Don't think that yeah. you can get the highest grades and, and, and go off and do your career in London or anything. You know, just just accept what you're destined for, which is, you know, something good. But 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 don't stretch yourself. Do you ever suffer from the dreaded imposter syndrome? Because I think. A lot of women in our industry can probably relate to that. Um, does that get you sometimes as well? Um, absolutely. All the time. Mm. Um, I am always amazed and quite aghast that there are people who don't have imposter syndrome. How how wonderful that must be <laughs> to not have imposter syndrome. <laughs> Is there syndrome. anyone? <laughs> Apparently so. Really? Um, <laughs> But um, I interviewed the uh, president of the Law Society actually earlier this year, um, and she was wonderful when I asked her this question around imposter syndrome. And she was just said, "Well, every, everyone has it. Everyone's dealing with it. Sort of, you yeah. know, just you know, you 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 should you should be un, sort of appreciating that, but also understanding the fact that you you do belong. Why are you an imposter?" Why, yeah. why would it be you? Um, I think also um, uh, Jamila Jamil has a fantastic tweet that she put out um, as well, just saying, I'll, I'll just read it out for you. My answer whenever I am asked about imposter syndrome is to admit that I am an imposter and I treat it like crashing a wedding. You're in now, have as much fun as possible and grab all the cake you can before someone throws you out. Lean in and make it a party. I think that's such a fantastic idea. That's you so know, people, You may not believe in yourself, but other people think that you belong. So, yeah act like you belong I mean you know I I don't know the answer to imposter syndrome I can only point to what you and I were talking about earlier is taking on board other people's impressions of you and not just letting that uh, little devil on your shoulder tell you all the things and the reasons why you shouldn't be here who has been your biggest cheerleader in your career so far do you think and why um I think um I think starting out again, like I said, my 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 parents have been fantastic mm. at um, encouraging encouraging me to do whatever I wanted to do, um, even in many cases when it wasn't things that they had done. So you know, yes, go along to university. Yes, study law. Yep, go off and work in in London. Yeah, all right, go and work in Singapore. Um, go traveling. You know, do all of that. There was never a why would you want to do that? You know, again, going back to that. Never question. Yeah, the teacher yeah. mentioned, why would you want to do that? Why don't you just stay at home and, you know, get a 
local job or whatever they're like nope you you go I remember um mentioning to my dad once that I wanted to maybe learn how to play the guitar and within half an hour we were off to a a music shop to have a look at guitars (laughs) so very encouraging in that from that perspective um I think other cheerleaders have been people that I've worked with um especially at Osborne Clark I was exceptionally lucky to land here and be startled in a, in a good way at how supportive my line manager was and how understanding mm. and you know taking the time to go through things with me taking the time to explain things which I hadn't had before um coming up to promotion for partnership as well again I'm so lucky to have the group of partners around me that I did not just from my team but again a- across the firm rallying around helping me with my application business case etc mm. um I couldn't have done it without sort of the professional and sometimes emotional support that they've offered because it is quite a strenuous process um so I'm 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 lucky that it's not just someone shouting out in the dark hoping that I'm going to uh hoping that, that someone's going to hear them and, and as to why I should succeed it, it really is um almost a, a village of people around you um at OC helping you along yeah that's really nice and so um I know you've always said you knew that you wanted to work in project finance hmm. and you kind of actively sought out during your training contract those seats um Mm-hmm. what is it particularly about this practice area that suits well a suits you mm. and makes you good at it and then maybe you can just tell me a little bit more about your practice for those who might not be aware mm. um and it just I just want to point out that when you said makes you good at it again the imposter syndrome said are you uh. are you actually good at it um <laughs> so project finance um is uh, it, it, it's it's evolved I mean we we do energy and infrastructure finance now which is really anything um financing anything that has an energy or infrastructure um angle to it but but, but project finance specifically is a form of limited recourse financing that is used in the uh, development and operation of in a lot of, lot of cases energy uh, generating projects so it's a structure that means a project can be set up to work without recourse to the larger sponsor client that, that that's just setting up that that project um I always knew I wanted to do it again showing my age from when I got the center book from Clifford Chance mm-hmm. um with all my seat options in it for me to read through and pick out the seats that I wanted to to, to do um it's in that book would list out what the group was like what the work was how the trainees were sort of treated and what 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 their usual sort of tasks were um and at that time it was a lot of oil and gas work um a lot of global work and it was the tangible and sort of ever-changing nature of it that really mm. appealed to me I'm not sure if subconsciously there was some sort of um uh affinity with it because my dad used to work for BP so I'd heard about him on the oil rigs and all that sort of thing um 
I think again it suits me because I felt the affinity with it but also it's always changing and yeah again with the upbringing maybe a personality thing I do like the challenge and it must be it must be changing all the time so you said that there's a lot of gas and oil earlier on in your career presumably now that's turning to more sustainable energy sources so the my flip from oil and gas to renewables was pretty instant because you know um Osmond Clark we, we we don't we don't do oil and gas deals so I've been doing um renewable energy projects since I landed here so gosh 10, 10 and a half years ago now the main barrier barriers to um sustainable energy methods it's not finance finance has to follow what's going on in the regulatory and political landscape it can't forge its own way it's very much reliant on what's happening there so until we get clear regulation and consistent funding or consistent subsidies which allow long-term investment in sustainable energy Mm. both by sort of equity investors and and banks uh, until people stop politicizing green energy and Mm. making it one of the things they can use to win votes, then it's always going to be tricky for funders to be sure that they can put in long-term funding, long-term loans into these companies, and these companies are going to have a stable basis on which to function for the next 10 to 15 years. Now, again, um, you know, there are many people working towards this. Um, We have people like the Chartered Banker Institute who are very much trying to educate um, the industry in how to assess sustainable energy projects to to look look beyond the initial uh, or what appears to be the initial uh, returns and say, okay, well, how is this going to impact us going forwards from a reporting perspective, a reputational perspective? How can we price this on a long-term basis rather than the traditional one from the safe assets that we're used to. Mm. Um, So there's a whole community coming towards um, promoting sustainable energy investment, but the real barriers to it being a flyaway success are underlying regulations and um, the, the politics involved. What are you aware of that's being discussed currently which might possibly incentivize developers, RPs, logistics premises owners, etc, landlords, homeowners to retrofit their properties? We have discussed with the Green Finance Institute over the last couple of years some of their projects around um, uh, retrofitting homes as part of their coalition for the energy efficiency of buildings. They are undertaking some amazing work with Mm. regards to uh, resolving the problem around investment into retrofitting properties. Again, when we were talking about lenders putting money into projects and being able to see a cash flow coming out to repay those loans, um, it's quite difficult to see that coming out of a savings sort of based financing where sorry, savings-based project where the money is actually the money that you save rather than any sort of generation coming out of that retrofitting. Um, It's also difficult to see how um, energy efficiency measures can be installed in any sort of cost-effective way if you're going into um, each individual home 
to, to do it. So what the Green Finance Institute is doing is, is, is solving that, is saying, right, okay, what are the problems in this area? How are we going to fix it? What do we need to do? Who do we need to bring along on the journey? And please, you know, we are seeking mm-hmm. input from a number of people across the industry to help us solve this. So we've um, worked alongside them um, on sort of a couple of the legal um, queries around uh, the Property Linked Finance Project, for example, yeah um where that is figuring out how to again make financing the retrofitting of homes much more um financially viable for 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 individual homeowners mm. i mean what's also great um is things like the zero build home scheme that octopus are doing um and that's for new homes that are being built i understand so it's really that, that, that's great from the new build perspective, but as you asked the question about retrofitting, it's really having to go back and say, okay, right, how do we fix this now? And that's what the Green Finance Institute are trying to do. And it's also about education. Like we were talking about the, the Charter Banker Institute doing the um, educating from sort of industry perspective. Yeah. What we need more of, and again, I'm not quite sure of the barrier to this but Mm. what we need more of is to educate homeowners as to why they should be doing it and the immediate costs that they can be saving by doing this there is a gap for someone to come in and um you know put a whole uh whole raft of um measures into a house so solar panels you know ev charging units batteries etc to improve energy efficiency and lower energy costs within that house it's just the upfront payment is unappealing yeah 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 I say that knowingly because I've got an oil boiler and that's exactly it it's at least 15,000 to fit a source heat pump which most people just don't have lying around um so no okay um Finally, really, I just wanted to pull this back to um, what we kind of started with, which was being a woman in a male-dominated industry. Um, Are there any networks that you're a part of that you would recommend to other women who may be in the construction industry and listening to this? Um, There is a Women in in Energy and Infrastructure network that Stu Milton at NatWest was um, instrumental in setting up. That has provided fantastic space to just network with other women in the industry. Um, and again, it's not going there and talk, because I know that a lot of time people think that we we, we go along and just talk about um, what it's like to be a woman in the industry, but it, it's really yeah. just providing a, a safe space for that sort of industry chat Mm. with people that are like you um yeah so it's it that that's that's really good what I would say though as well is is there are obviously more and more women in our industry in our legal profession but also in the energies underlying um sorry in the underlying industries that we work in all the people I have I think all the all the people that were supporting me to get through the partnership were were men Mm. so I think what's great is that and I get asked this by back schemers as well about what has changed in in diversity and 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 the law you know the legal profession Mm. around diversity as we've gone along and I think the thing is is things do change albeit 
fairly slowly, but the great thing is, is we can talk about it. And I think there's a fantastic understanding now of what it is like to be around people day in, day out who are not like you, who do not look like you. And, yeah. you know, looking up and seeing people who are not like you, um, I think there's a greater understanding of that now. Yeah, great. Thank you. And thank you so much for um, sharing your story and your experience today. Um, I hope those listening have found it interesting and useful. Um, Thanks very much, Caroline. Thanks, Julia.